We're learning about the fruit of the Spirit, which means we're learning about spiritual maturity. Because spiritual maturity is like growing fruit, it happens gradually, it happens slowly, not quickly. If you're frustrated with your own spiritual progress, join the club. If you wonder why you still struggle with things, join the club. If you wonder why God hasn't taken certain temptations out of your life already, hey, join the club. Because we're fruit, right? We're like fruit growing uh, gradually. We've already covered what? What are they? Love. Joy, and now, see, we start losing the, the last, the tail end, right? <laughs> now we're moving on to gentleness. Uh, how can God grow us 
to be more gentle. Gentle. When I say God wants to make you more gentle, I have a feeling all the men in the room are like, what? Gentle? What do you mean, gentle? What does that mean? That is the opposite of everything I have learned that a man is supposed to be gentle. Sadly, throughout history, Jesus himself has often been portrayed as a very weak and effeminate man. And that is unfortunate. Christian men today aren't sure what it means to be a man of God. And our culture is redefining gender altogether so that men who are growing up have no clue what it means to be a man of God. And because of that, you find men showing up to church uh, acting like something they are not the rest of the week. They smile a lot and shake hands and pat people on the back and watch their language uh, for one day only. And then they go back into the world and they don't know what it means to be a man of God seven days a week. And part of this is because the church has failed to cast a compelling vision of Christian masculinity for men. So as we start talking about gentleness, let me just say this. Uh, men, God wants you to be strong and gentle. God wants you to figure out how those two things can fit in one heart. God doesn't want you to be a wimp. He doesn't want you to be a sissy. He doesn't want you to be a pushover. He doesn't want the world to ride over you. That's not his will for you. We need men in this church and in this world with convictions. We need men who get angry when they see sin prevailing. We need men who weep when Satan wins and someone loses. We need that. We need men who will stand up and stand guard over their children and say, over my dead body will you take them down. We need men who will fight for their marriages. Are you understanding what I'm saying? We need strong men, and we're lacking them. And the world is not painting a correct picture of what it means to be a man. Male jellyfish hurt the gospel. I do not want to turn you into that. All right? So please, as we start talking about gentleness, this is not a call for the men to start a attending candle parties, all right, or for the men to start reading Nicholas Sparks books, all right, I'm not at all calling you to get on that program, okay, but God wants you to be gentle. The definition of gentle is important. Uh, the other word, the synonym used in the Bible is meek. Uh, the word means strength in check. That implies that you have to have strength to hold it back. Do you understand? So gentleness in the biblical sense does not mean passivity. Does not mean you're a couch potato. Right? Look at him. He's so gentle and mild. He, he wouldn't hurt a fly. He can't even get off the couch. He's in a food coma. All right? That's not the gentleness that the Bible is calling the men to. All right? Not this passive, do nothing, be nothing, say nothing. That's not it at all. Uh, men, God wants you to display tremendous restraint with your words and your actions. The strongest thing you can do as a man is control yourself. That's the strongest thing you can do as a man is control yourself. 
And men who don't know how to control their strength, men who are harsh, men who are haughty, are falling short of God's will for their lives. God wants you, men and women, to have strength in check. That's what it means to be gentle or meek. And Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You want to go to heaven? Who wants to go to heaven? Raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. You really need to hear what I have to say. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would teach us about gentleness and meekness. Show us what it means, Lord, to be strong and to be kind at the same time. Show us, O oh Lord, your will for our growth in this area. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have many verses that we go to today. Uh, we will throw them all up on the screen. You can write them down. Uh, but because this is a topical sermon, we're not going to just one passage and staying there. We're taking one theme and tracing it through Old and New Testament. So uh, why should I be gentle? Why should I uh, be meek? Number one, write this down, because God has been incredibly gentle with you. There's only two points today. Don't worry. This is a feature-length presentation. But if you feel like one point is dragging on a little longer than usual, it's because there's only this many, all right? So just relax. God has been incredibly gentle with you. And when I say you, I mean the world, I mean humanity, I mean God has been incredibly gentle uh, with us. Looking to the Old Testament, the Israelites uh, were in slavery in Egypt, and God broke them free. He led them through the Red Sea, through Moses' leadership, out into the wilderness, and time and time and time again, they put God to the test. What we find there in the desert is God being gentle with humanity. The Israelites longed to go back to their bondage, and yet God was so gentle with them. He was patient, long-suffering. He fed them. He clothed them. He protected them for 40 years. We see that our God has been incredibly gentle. In Deuteronomy 1, 31, it says this, And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Parents, you know what that's like when you're maybe out for a, for a long day and, and your young kids are trailing around and then what do they say finally when they've lost it and their strength is gone and they've had it? What do they say? Carry me, carry me, carry me. And if you refuse, what do they do? I mean, they just fall flat on their face and, and the, the whole family stops until somebody picks up Junior, right? So, so the Bible here is drawing on this idea, which every parent understands, that there comes a time when you're carrying your kids uh, to show how God has treated us. Um, when, uh, when our kids were much younger, uh, we have two daughters and then a son, and so our, our girls were at the age where they still played with dollies, you know, and uh, I mourn the loss of those years. And so, so uh, my wife, when our little girls would do something, you know, that, that needed correction, my wife would be real careful. She'd, you know, she'd get down on their level, and she'd say, look at my face. And then she'd say, you need to stop that. Okay. So she did that with Ellie, and she did that with Cassie. And then one day, Lauren was watching Cassie play with her dollies, and apparently the dolly did something wrong. Because Cassie picked up the dolly and went like this. Look at my face! <laughs> and Lauren was like, oh my. That is not how I say it. 
and much more gentle than that, right? Parents, you know what it's like when your kids are just asking for it, right? But, but you stop short of the full vent of your wrath, and you, you find a more gentle way to rein in what you're about to say to them, okay? Imagine at a carnival when they've got that, you know, the, where you grab the sledgehammer and you hit, and then it goes up to the top, ding, right? You win a prize for hitting it the hardest. And, and at times you have to wonder, how much force is this going to require <coughs> to get my child to respond? And um, we all have those regrets when we swing as hard as we can and we just let them have it, right? Counterproductive. God displays what it means to be like a parent, a man who's carrying his son all the way. Forty years, God was supporting the Israelites. He was gentle with them. In Psalm 103.10, which reflects on how God treated Israel, it says this, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. The Israelites in the Exodus knew it. Uh, the psalmists knew it. After the uh, exile, where Israel was kicked out of the land, and then they came back and they were trying to process what had happened, they said it. You have been merciful to us. You have not repaid us according to our sins. God stopped short of giving people what they truly deserved. Was God strong? Yes, his wrath flared up frequently. There were many judgments in the wilderness that cost people their lives. So please don't think that God will only, only put you in a timeout. You can ruin your life and he will let it happen. He is strong and he judges sin 100% of the time. But overall, at the end of your life, you will look back and you will be able to say, he has not repaid me according to what my deeds have deserved. He stops short of giving you the full harvest of what you have planted. That is his grace. He's incredibly gentle with you. Think about the people God was gentle with in the Old Testament. Noah, after he survived the flood, the, you know, the only righteous man, right? He gets, he gets drunk and passes out naked. And God was patient with him. Abraham let his wife be taken into a harem twice. Twice. And God was gentle toward him. Moses killed and buried an Egyptian. David committed adultery, murdered the woman's husband, basically stole a wife, and then hid it for a year. God was gentle with them. When you look at Moses in particular, later in life, the Bible says he was the meekest man who lived on the earth. And that was written in the context of when his inner circle of leaders and his family was rising up to discredit him. So, so that was written based on how he was handling conflict in his inner circle. And it said he was the meekest man. He was the gentlest man uh, on the earth. He kept his strength in check. You'd think if your face was glowing, people wouldn't mess with you. Sometimes I wonder if I'd get a better response if my face literally glowed on Sunday morning while I preached because I spent time in my devotions with the Lord. And I read the book of Exodus and I find out that's not the case. I could literally be like a glow bug because of my time with the Lord and people would still be like, I didn't like that. I didn't like the way he said that because they did it to Moses, right? So 
Moses was so, he had the ability to say, I'm writing the Bible. You all back off. But he didn't. He held it in check. Uh, Moses, as F.W. Borum writes, learned to curb the powerful passions that in his early life controlled him. He did not extinguish the flaming zeal that slew the Egyptian, but he chained it, harnessed it to lofty ends, and stripped it of its savagery. That's a picture of meekness. Moses didn't lose the fire in his heart, right? But it no longer controlled him. He let God control his passions. That is a portrait of meekness. In the New Testament, Jesus is the uh, portrait of meekness and gentleness. As promised, after God's patience with his people in the Old Testament, God sent a Savior. He sent a Savior who called himself the Good Shepherd. He sent a Savior, not a general, not a gladiator, not a dictator, not a debater, not a prosecutor. He sent a Savior. He sent a shepherd. He sent a humble king. It says in Isaiah 42, 1-3, Behold my servant, looking ahead to Christ, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. When I read that, I see a lot of contradictory truths. He will bring justice to the nations. Wow, that sounds like Alexander the Great. A bruised reed he will not break. Huh. That doesn't sound like Alexander the Great. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Doesn't sound like Alexander the Great. And then it closes by saying, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Now we're back to Alexander the Great. Which is it? Is it Mr. Rogers or is it Alexander the Great? I'm confused. The Bible portrayed this shepherd king as being so gentle. And through that, he would rule the earth. The meek inherit the earth. I love these Vivid pictures here we find in these verses. Uh, here's a picture of a faintly burning wick. And he, he'll be so gentle, so gentle, that uh, he wouldn't put that out. Now, now, what that portrays is this. That portrays people who perhaps once were burning brightly in their, in their passion. They had heart. They had spirit and soul in life. And, and their flame has gone out. And maybe you feel like that right now. Maybe you feel that you know exactly what that picture is saying. You feel like your fire is exhausted. There's just despair or hopelessness or you're so weak. You're just barely existing. And what that looked ahead to is how Jesus would intentionally uh, be around those people who, who are like almost out meaning almost dead or emotionally almost spent or whatever, the lowest, the weakest, the sickest. Those are the people he would be around. And guess what? He wouldn't put out that fire. That's how careful he would be. I love this idea of a bruised reed. 
Um, I found another picture. This isn't a reed. This is a weed. So I'm changing it slightly, but that's okay. <laughs> so behold, a bruised weed. Same idea. Uh, but look at that. What, what do you see there? You see like a poetic depiction of seasons in your life. And I bet you can tell me times in your life where that was you. I mean, barely hanging on, broken, stooping over, bent down, low. And there were people like that who Jesus sought after. Uh, those who were, who were paralyzed, those who were blind, those who, whose backs were all crooked, people who had been to doctor after doctor who couldn't help them, and he found them, and he was so careful with them, uh, and, and frequently he just healed them. He just completely put them back together. This would be the nature of the mission of our humble king. It would be through the, this gentleness that he would end up ruling the nations. Jesus walked into places of great pain and loss and sickness and suffering, he scattered his loving acts everywhere. Uh, our king did not bring his power to the palace. He brought his power to the peasant. And in the end, he inherited the earth. The earth is his. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. And it was the humble road that got him there. God has been incredibly gentle with you and me in sending a gentle king. He could have sent a harsh overlord to set things straight, but he didn't. The way God is retaking control of the world is gentle. Jesus displayed courtesy and patience. He restrained his power time and again. But we see in the end, he didn't lose any of it. In fact, he got all of it. It's not that Jesus wasn't strong. He made it clear. Do you not think that my father could command a legion of angels right now to come and stop this? He, he wanted to make sure the record was set straight as he was about to be crucified. Oh, we can end this show trial right now if we wanted to. You know what that means, right? <laughs> that means he could have put the entire Roman army to death like that. All opposition vanquished. Oh, he says, just in passing, oh, my father could send angels and end you, but he's not. Jesus had that authority. He had the power. He was holding back just before he was crucified. He was holding back the ability to exterminate everything evil on the planet. That's how much power Jesus was holding back. But he did it. What we see here is that you can't be meek until you're first strong. It takes strength to hold back strength. And so until you find your convictions, until you find who God made you to be, you can't hold it back. God has been incredibly gentle with you, and the meekness of Christ displays his will for your life. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, it says this of Jesus. He said, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The idea of a yoke would be like a few oxen that would have this, um, this yoke around them, metal or wood, uh, that would tie them together, and then you know, around their shoulders, they would use that to pull whatever was plowing behind them. So Jesus says, I have a burden, I have a burden I'm going to place on you, and I have work for you to do, but guess what? If you take my burden on you, 
uh, because I'm meek and because I'm gentle and because I'm careful, guess what? You'll find rest for your souls if you follow me. This is not what the strong men of our day promise. They don't promise to use their strength for the rest of the people who follow them. Uh, They're harsh. They're haughty. Not Jesus. Jesus promises that if you follow him, the strongest man who's ever lived, you'll find rest for your soul. Will it be easy? Absolutely not. Will it be cheap? It'll cost you everything. But this is how you find rest for your souls. At the cross, Jesus shows us how we must be willing to suffer and even die in submission to God's will. Um, Understand that Christianity has never been a violent movement. Our founder called us away from the way of violence. That's different from many other faiths. And we find here that Jesus, uh, at the cross, humbly surrendered himself to the will of the Father. And even though we're a nonviolent movement, we will inherit the earth. This is the way of victory. In Matthew 21, 5, it says this, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Our king came humbly. He came nonviolently. This is the way that we are to walk. In Isaiah 53, 7, it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is the example Jesus gave to us. Hey, God has been incredibly gentle with you. In sending his son, in preserving Israel, he has been so careful with you and has not repaid you according to how your deeds deserve. In fact, he has opened up a way for you to attain eternal life through a humble king. That's why you should learn to be gentle, because of who God is and how he's treated you. But now the question is how? How can I be incredibly gentle? Well, write this down. Number two, be incredibly gentle with others. God has been incredibly gentle with you. Be incredibly gentle with others. The idea here is that people are breakable. In all of your relationships, you will be interacting with people who you can wound, you can hurt and harm, you can mar if you're not careful. Because of just how gentle God has been with you, he wants you to learn to be gentle with others. I was preparing this sermon while I was in Atlanta this past week. An organization we partner with called RZIM trains defenders of the faith to, uh, to reason and argue you know, among other worldviews. So I went, they had this week-long conference called the Emerging Apologist Program, and they invited me to come. I was like, oh boy. And, and so I did. I went to Atlanta to learn how to debate and, and argue for the faith and whatever. And, uh, and so I went down there, and I was preparing this sermon while I was there about gentleness. And then, last night, my flight landed late, at like, well, like 8.15 at Midway, and Southwest Airlines lost my back. And so here all this week I've been preparing this sermon on gentleness and I'm standing at the counter of customer service in Midway Airport and guess how I felt? Very gentle. Very gentle. I felt like being the kindest person on the planet. I, I felt like telling them so patiently how I arrived two hours early to the airport and, and checked my bag and, and because I was the first one to check in, I should be the first one to get my bag. I just felt like telling them all that so patiently, right? <laughs> no, I'm standing there an hour after I should have had my bag. Like, why did I have to be preaching on gentleness? Why couldn't I be preaching on the wrath of God this week? You think my wrath is bad? Let me tell you about the wrath of God. No. No, I'm preaching on gentleness. I just had to be nice and kind. 
They told me this morning, they called me this morning and said that they're delivering my bag to church between 10 and 1 today. I'm tempted to bring the guy up on stage to thank him. <laughs> Be incredibly gentle with others because people are breakable. And we have to be so careful, so careful in how we treat each other. Jot this down. The Bible gives us three little subpoints here on how we can do this. Be extremely careful with your words. Be extremely careful with your words. Uh, always stop short of fully venting your angry words. Extremely careful. When I was a teacher, we talked about writing a lot, and, and when kids write, they want to write the first thing on their mind, which is usually never the best. So we gave them the option of writing what we call the sloppy copy. And the sloppy copy was just what it was supposed to be, not the final copy. And if in your mind, the first draft is always what gets out, heaven forbid, if you're hearing what you're thinking the same time others are hearing what you're thinking... You need to start writing some sloppy copies up here and then rewriting them and crumpling up the first draft before your paper is handed to the other person. Proverbs 25.15 says this, With patience a ruler may be persuaded. Get this, And a soft tongue will break a bone. I think in the NIV it says the gentle tongue breaks the bone. This is counterintuitive, but the Bible elevates the tremendous power of a softly worded statement. You know that's true. You know the people in your life, when they're all worked up about something, they just blow up. And guess what? You've learned to cope with that. And they don't have a whole lot of influence in your heart. Uh, but then there are the people in your life who you know they put a lot of thought into what they say. And if they say something, even short, about you, you know that it's true and it influences you deeply. And there are things that they've said that have stuck with you for years. And they didn't have to shout it, and, and they didn't have to stomp all over the place or use all caps. They just said it. But because you know that it was carefully thought through and gently worded, it penetrated deeper than, than another person would have. Because you know that's true, put it into practice. Be extremely careful with your words. Um, go through several sloppy copies of your speech before you say it. Man, this is really hard. Am I right, parents? Because you kind of know what you want to tell your kids right away, but you haven't really had time to think through how to say it or when to say it or where to say it. And there are many times where as a parent, I find myself mid-sentence saying, I'm picking the wrong time or wrong tone or, or just... And so I have to like reel it back in and either say... I need time to cool down, or let's go somewhere else to talk about this, or, or I start asking questions instead of issuing edicts, right? Well, what were you thinking when you did this? Um, we have to be so careful as parents, not harsh. We have to be so careful. And when we're dealing with grown-ups, especially when there is conflict, ask yourself this, how are you doing at resolving conflict with gentleness? Uh, how are you doing at resolving conflict with a gentle tongue? Are you choosing carefully the words you use and the tone you choose and the timing to bring something up? Um, in James 3.17, it says this, but the wisdom from above 
is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. If you reverse all these words, you get a terrible picture of what it means to have an impure heart, to go to war, to be harsh, to not be reasonable, to be absent of mercy, to be full of bad fruits, to, not, you know, to be partial and to be insincere. That's terrible, but in many churches, that's what happens. In many families, that's what happens. We're supposed to be peaceable and gentle. Uh, when you are mistreated, be careful. When someone wrongs you, be careful, because that is not your license to say what you want when you want. In fact, at that time, more than ever, God expects you to be gentle. He expects you to hold back your strength. Uh, we've counseled so many people who are going through hard conflicts in life. Either they have a blow up with their boss, or their marriage has fallen apart and they are on the pathway to divorce, and each day brings a new struggle. There's new bait set out there for them to just take and shout and launch. Uh, we've got kids who have turned from the faith and they're becoming prodigals and parents don't know what to do. And we counsel people on how to be careful with what they say and how they say it. And please be cautious. When you're being mistreated, when relationships are blowing up in your life, be gentle. On the way back from Atlanta last night, uh, we were uh, flying and the pilot said that we may experience some turbulence on the way home. Now, I don't know where you were last night, but it was pretty nice in Atlanta. We left with a you know, nice sunny 82, not a cloud in the sky. And then we get in the sky and suddenly the plane is shaking. The stewardess team, they're, they're bringing the drinks faster than sitting down because they don't even want to be standing up. And then the clouds get dark and then there's lightning outside the plane. Lots of it. And I'm sitting on the wing watching this unfold. And I'm like, this pilot has a death wish. He flew us into the lightning storm. And there's big bolts of lightning going off. And it's not just the one lightning, it's like the net lightning. It's like going around the plane. And I'm looking at this, and there was one lightning-like web that went over the plane, and I was right on the wing, and the whole wing reflected the lightning. The whole wing. It looked like there was this giant spider web of lightning all around the plane. And I'm thinking to myself, how could they do this? If I'm swimming in a pool, they make me get out of the water. When there's one lightning strike, and I'm in a plane, and they're flying through it, this is, I can't believe this. And I know what the internet says, and I don't trust it. They say planes can fly through lightning storms because, oh, the technicians have said this. I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. I'm like in a gas can, right, in the middle of the sky. And you can't tell. And they say, oh, the lightning passes through the plane. I'm through the plane. I'm in between the lightning and the ground. Well, as long as you're not touching any metal. There's metal everywhere. I don't believe what the Internet says. And it was bad, like lots of lightning. I saw four. I mean, it was like a huge lightning storm. And I was like the only one who was caring about this. But we got down, and we landed, and then they lost my bag. So everything's okay. But let me just say this. Don't make people feel like when there's a conflict, don't make people around you feel like they're flying in a lightning storm. All right? If you're just like... All right, uh, you shouldn't be Thor. Remember Jesus. Be humble and gentle, especially when you are provoked or angry. Next, be extremely careful with your authority. 
your authority in the home to parent, your authority in the workplace or the world, your authority in the church, um, be, be humble, not harsh, not haughty. Stop short of giving full expression to the power that is yours. Be extremely careful with your authority. In Galatians 6.1, it talks about church discipline or uh, setting, a, setting a, a brother who's in sin straight. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Wow. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So when we have Christian friends or family who are blowing it, we're not harsh with them. Um, we're gentle. Now understand that there is a place and there's even a command to be very hard on people who are stuck in sin, especially if they're not getting it. That's what the whole thing of church discipline is about. Put them out of the church, hand them over to Satan. This is not supposed to be pleasant, okay? But overall, there's this underlying sense of gentleness. What we're doing here is we are restoring a person back to faith. And whatever strength we, uh, we express is measured and it's, it's directed toward the goal, not of tearing a person down, but of building them back up. So we have to be so careful with our authority. Not harsh and not haughty. It says in 1 Thessalonians 2.6, the Apostle Paul says, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Man, this is, this is not a very manly way to describe what the Apostle Paul is doing. I mean, the Apostle Paul is tough. He's got fire in the belly. He put Christians to death before he was convinced this was the real thing. All right, this guy was fired up about stuff, and yet he was willing to lower himself and say, hey, hey, this is a guy who's writing, you know, so many of the New Testament books. He saw the risen Lord, and yet he's like so careful with people. And a lot of these people who he was ministering to, they're like, we don't know if we want to listen to you because there was another guy who came to town and he had nice things to say too. Imagine what it's like to be Paul, just to be like, I saw heaven. Listen to me. Look at my face. I mean, he had to feel like shaking them, right? And sometimes you feel like shaking people. But if the apostle Paul who was writing books of the Bible, was so careful. Oh, I know, I know that you're struggling with that, but let me just, let me just so patiently help you with this. Man, how much more should we be extremely careful with our authority? If he didn't lord it over other people, how could we? In Titus 3.2, it says of leaders to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle. I love this, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Hey, before you post anything online about the current political mess or whatever happens violently in the world, read this verse to yourself. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy toward all people. I'd love it if whenever I logged online, this little uh, terms of use came up, right? I feel like Christians should have the Titus 3.2 terms of use. Do you agree to this before we let you go on Instagram? Do you agree to this before you go post on Facebook? Yes. Boy, that would clear up a whole lot of the problem in how we treat each other online, wouldn't it? 
Be extremely careful with your authority. Be extremely careful with your words. Learn to control your tongue so that it doesn't burn your world down. And finally, be extremely careful with your witness. Be so cautious in how you talk to non-believers and around non-believers. Be extremely careful with your words, with your authority, and with your witness. One of the things I love about RZIM is uh, Ravi Zacharias is Indian, and so he, he grew up in a different culture than ours, and their culture just values uh, hospitality, and um, their culture has a super huge value on kindness. And he travels to these colleges. He'll go to Harvard, he'll go to Yale, he'll go to Oxford. They'll fill the room. Imagine this, with thousands of people who are brilliant, the brightest minds of our day, and he will stand up there and give a talk about love or faith or Jesus is the only way, and then he'll take questions. And he's, a lot of these people are not happy with who he is or who God is. And they'll get up there and they will just basically hurl spears at him. And he is always so gentle and polite. Because of that, they now have 50 itinerants who travel the globe and share the faith. And he has built that into his culture. And um, there will be times where they'll be, uh, you know, in England and they'll share this. And then somebody will come up to them after the speech and put their finger in their face and be like, you've got a lot of nerve telling people what to believe. But they are so polite and gentle uh, and be extremely careful with your witness. When I was driving from the airport in Atlanta to Zacharias uh, Institute, I got an Uber, and the Uber driver uh, was this uh, college-age African-American kid who uh, had, he had these bracelets on um, with like little skulls on them, some of them, and then he had these like things hanging from his rearview mirror that also had like beads and little skulls on them, and I was very intrigued. And so I started talking to him, and I was like, hey, what, what do those mean? And he's like, well, my, you know, we grew up in the church, but my mom has recently started looking into this uh, Egyptian spiritual, um, he didn't even really know the name of it. He's like, this Egyptian spiritual uh, religion. And so she told me to wear these because they bring me good luck. And I'm just like, so many things I want to say right now. <laughs> like... So many sloppy copies of how I could say something that would mock the idea of a charm bracelet and, and question the idea of a college-educated student believing in this, and I'm going through all of the rough drafts in my mind of what I could say, right? And instead, I just start asking him questions. Well, do you really think that, that something on your wrist could bring luck to your life or even influence your heart? And so then he had to start explaining it. and got to the point where he finally said, yeah, well, when it comes to Christianity and this Egyptian spiritual stuff, we just believe both. And then I asked him if, if, I really if he really thought that was the same. Because Christianity offers you so much more than a lucky charm. It offers you God's holy presence in your heart. I said, let me ask you a question. What would make you more fortunate? Having God's holy presence in your heart or having some pendant around your rearview mirror? He had a lot to think about. But I, I was trying to be so careful with him because, frankly, this was one of the more foolish things I had ever heard of. And yet I wanted to be so careful because I understand his plight. Mom told him to wear this and she's getting into it and we had a great conversation. 
Are you having great conversations with the lost, about the lost? Are you being so careful with your witness? Or when, when somebody believes something different, do you just get out the bazooka? And you know, repent, the kingdom of... I mean, do you just really blow your opportunity? And be incredibly gentle with others. Here's the challenge. God has been incredibly gentle with you. Be so gentle with others. Be careful with your words this week. Be careful with your authority this week. Be careful with your witness this week because the meek will inherit the earth. Let's pray. I'm so grateful, Father, that you do not repay us as our deeds deserve. Lord, if if right now in an instant you gave us the full consequences of our choices and made us bear the weight of our failures, and if you posted everything we've ever done or said or thought for the world to see, our lives would be ruined. We would be utterly ruined. Thank you for being gentle with us. Help us, Father, based on your mercy to show that same treatment to others. Help us, Lord, not to be bloodthirsty in every fight. Help us, Father, not to be petty in every church disagreement. Help us, O Lord, not to be harsh with our children. Show us what it means to follow in the footsteps of our gentle Savior, who had the power to exterminate all evil and end his every source of suffering, but he didn't. And yet, he reigns and rules now over all. Show us, Lord, that the pathway to the highest heavens is down. Show us, Lord, that we need to be gentle, polite, kind, because that's who you are. Build this into us, Lord, and forgive us for our many failures in this area. We treat each other so poorly. Help us, Lord, to grow in this discipline this week. Remind us, Lord, in the instant how to be kind, how to be patient. And over time, Lord, may this become an area of tremendous ongoing victory in our, in our church and in our world and in our homes. We pray this, Lord, by your spirit, in Jesus' name.